0: I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Disney film, The Little Mermaid. But it has a scene in it that I was reminded of in preparing for today's homily. You see, the little mermaid wants to be united with her true love, which happens to be a human. And so she is desperate to find a way to meet him. She hears that Ursula the wicked witch, might have a way for her. And so she goes to meet with this wicked witch. Ursula, indeed, does say, I can help you out. I can give you legs for three days, and you can attempt to woo the man that you love, and if you indeed do, you will remain human forever. I will give you three days. But... In exchange for your legs, you must give me your voice. Now, this is a tricky proposition because the little mermaid knows that her beloved knows her by her voice. And so she debates whether or not she should relinquish her voice for the sake of having legs for three days and risk it all. There is a song that Ursula sings called Poor Unfortunate Souls. And in that song, she talks about all the other mermaids that have come to her wanting to make some type of agreement. And as she sings, she refers to them, and they are not even mermaids. They are blobs, if you will, attached forever to the ocean floor. They have eyes and they have mouths, but they make no sound. But you can tell by their faces That they are screaming out. It is a picture of hell. And Ariel debates whether or not she should make this agreement, whether she should risk it and think that somehow she will beat the odds. Well, the story goes that she does. She does risk it and sells her soul. This idea of selling your soul to the devil for the life that you truly want, is such a powerful theme in stories that we find it universally. Not only does Disney depict it, but you can find it in Greek mythology, you can find it in Shakespeare, you can find it in folk tales. What would it profit a man to gain his life but to lose his soul, Jesus asks The question is as relevant today as it was back then, because it is relevant to the human predicament. To whom will we sell our soul because of the life that we want? The story of Jesus, the Son of God, stands outside of this theme that is universal. Because in Jesus we see that God loved us enough to cross the abyss, to span the gap To draw us close to Him. What would it profit a man to lose his life or to gain his life and lose his soul? God offers us grace, reaching across the divide of time and space in order that we might know the fullness of life and that we might know to whom it is that we owe our soul. Amazing grace, we sing. How sweet the sound. This song is so universal that everyone knows it. It's one of the favorites to sing at a funeral, because no matter what your religious tradition, or even if you don't have one, you know this song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We know somehow deeply within us the grace that God has offered us in Jesus. But we don't know what it demands of us. What would it profit a man, Jesus asked, to gain his life and to lose his soul? In the grace of Jesus, we see how it is that we can both gain our life and our soul. In Christ, we can have it all. And God has made the first move to help us to know that. God took the initiative in sending his only son, that the world might be saved through him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in the early part of the 20th century. He lived during the first half a Lutheran, a German. He was in Germany when the Nazi regime came into power. And he was appalled and heartbroken at the Lutheran church, the state church, because of the silence that they kept in the face of the Nazi regime. He joined with some other pastors to talk about the confessing church. What does it mean to confess our faith? We confess Christ crucified. What does that mean in this setting? The confessing church was such a threat to the Nazi way of thinking that they went underground an effort to keep the good news of the gospel alive, to speak truth to power, to speak against hate and evil. Dietrich Bonhoeffer lived his life dedicated to the gospel and distressed by what it might mean for him to follow Jesus. What does it mean to be a recipient of God's grace? And how does it call out of us a response? So I prepared something for you today, just lifted from a book, a little portion of his book, called The Cost of Discipleship. And you will see on your Xeroxed copy that I hope that you've got as you came in, a portion of that piece from The Cost of Discipleship that he wrote in the late 30s. Talking about grace, he first talks about cheap grace. Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today for costly grace. Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap Jack's wares. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, and the consolations of religion are thrown away at cut prices. Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price, grace without cost. The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance. And because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possibilities of using and spending it are infinite. What would grace be if it were not cheap? A little further down, he continues, In such a church, the world finds a cheap covering for its sins. No contribution is required, still less any real desire to be delivered from sin. Cheap grace, therefore, amounts to a denial of the living word of God. In fact, a denial of the incarnation of the word of God. Cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. Grace alone does everything, they say, and so everything can remain as it was. Instead of following Christ, let the Christian enjoy the consolations of his grace. That is what we mean by cheap grace, the grace which amounts to the justification of sin without the justification of the repentant sinner who departs from sin and from whom sin departs. Cheap grace is not the kind of forgiveness of sin which frees us from the toils of sin. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. When we read that portion from Ephesians that we did this morning, we might be tempted to think that in God's abundance it's all free that the grace that's been showered upon us requires nothing from us, we can receive it and sit in the consolation of of God's grace. But Dietrich calls us into the truth and reminds us of what we hear Jesus say to Nicodemus in our gospel lesson. You must be born again. This is a new life I'm calling you into by the grace that I bestow. God invites us into a new life because we have been given grace. It's going to cost us something. We must lay down our life, take up our cross, and follow Him. And that's the costly grace that Dietrich goes on to explain as he continues on the bottom of that page. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his good. It is the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ, at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. Ye were bought with a price, the scriptures say, and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Costly grace is the sanctuary of God. It has to be protected from the world and not thrown to the dogs. It is therefore the living word, the word of God, which he speaks as it pleases him. Costly grace confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart. Grace is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This season of Lent invites us to lay aside our life, to take up the cross and to follow Jesus. It will be a whole new way, It will require us to give up something, something big. But in Jesus, we know that what we will be offered is something greater. That to follow Christ is to receive all that God has to offer us because of God's love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that all that who believe in him might not perish but might have eternal life. Indeed, God came into the world not to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Amen.